Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We have themed the year Crowned With Goodness. That is the theme of 2018, Crowned With Goodness. And it's also the title of our present series, Crowned With Goodness. It's a three-week series. We're up to week three and it's found in Psalm 65 verse 11 where it says, You crown, I love that, speaking of God, it says, You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. I love this thought that it's God Himself who crowns your head and your year. Isn't it amazing? Not just your day, but your year. A year has four seasons in it, four seasons. And that means that in your driest, dustiest, hottest summer, you can expect the goodness of God. Or as we come into winter, the coldest, wettest, loneliest winters you can experience, the promise is that you can experience the goodness of God. This is a year, not just the day that God wants to crown your head with His goodness. And I say His goodness because this is not a message based upon hype. It's not a message based upon what I believe. It's not a message based upon my goodness. Thank God for that. And it's not a message based upon your goodness because my goodness and your goodness fluctuates. Have you ever noticed that? There are days that are good. There are days that are not so good. But I'm talking about a goodness that is based upon the consistency and the constant nature of our God who is a good God. And that's exactly what we delved into and looked at in week one, that God is good. And week two, we said God does good. It's fair to conclude that if He is a good God, He does good things. If He is good, He does good. If He is good, He does good. And we delved down into that last week. Week one, God is good. Week two, God does good. And week three today is God gives good. God does good. God is good. God gives good. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, reading from verse 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a promise. If we seek, ask and knock this year, I believe doors are going to be open to you. It says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, that's just downright cruel. Don't you love the way the Bible words certain passages? I mean, that is just downright cruel. Want bread or get a stone? I mean... The only time that happens is when you're fasting. I mean, like, really? But, but really, what, what parent out there would, would give their child a stone for lunch? No. And then it goes on to say, not only would you not do that, but which one of your, uh, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? It says, if you then, who are evil, 
And that's an interesting point, something I haven't had a lot of time to bring out. But the Bible says that you and I are not good. Human beings are not good. By nature, we are not good. We are evil by nature. And yet, even with this evil nature, we know how to give good gifts. That's what the Bible is saying. Then it goes on to say, how much more? Say, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? draws an incredible illustration that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, we would never give a stone in place of a rock. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't give a snake in the place of fish. That's too dangerous. We wouldn't do that. Well, the Bible's saying if, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does our Heavenly Father who knows us and loves us and is intrinsically a good God. And so it's on that basis we can go to a good God who does good things and expect Him to give good things. As we come into a time of fasting and as we pray this week as a church, we're going to be asking God for incredible things, for God to do incredible things for you individually, for you, for your family, for our church, for our community, because God is indeed a good God and He wants to do good things and He wants to give us good things. You see, there's lots of great things that God gives us. I did mention some of them just last week. Some of the things that God gives is that sunrise in the morning. Again, I don't know how many of you woke up this morning and just noticed the sun was up and you're grateful for that. Here's the thought. Tonight, the sun is going to settle in the west and more than likely, we'll have a nice red sky. God's going to paint a painting for us. And it's not going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars like some artists. Have you noticed how expensive some artists are and how rubbish their work is? You know, some of the price tags on some artwork and it's like astronomical and you have to think, what is it? It looks like a five-year-old's done it. You know what I'm saying? But God's going to paint the best painting of all tonight and He's not even going to charge us and all we've got to do is acknowledge it and enjoy it and say, my dad did that. So many great things that God gives us. The sun rising and the sun setting is just one of those things. What about the air to breathe? I mean, how many of you woke up this morning and you said, God, thank you for air to breathe? You know, the amazing thing about air is it keeps you alive, which tells me it's pretty important. And for something that is not only pretty important, but really important for us to not thank Him for that, it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. God gives us air to breathe. And here's the amazing thing. Even when we were asleep last night, not asking for air to breathe, He just gave it to us. We were just, we were in our sleep. We weren't even thinking about God. And He's just giving us air to breathe, giving us air to breathe, giving us air to breathe. Oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. It's an amazing God that we serve. He gives incredibly good gifts. The gift of good health. Family. There's so many things that He has given us. This nation of Australia is an incredible gift to us. To live in this country is an incredible privilege. I, I don't know when the last time you thank God for just being here in Australia, but there's a lot of people around the world who would love to live here. There's a lot of people who are trying to get in here, be it legally or illegally. They all know that Australia is God's country. It's like heaven on earth. When's the last time we were grateful for the country that we live in? 
And none of these things are to mention the greatest gift of all, which of course is God's Son, Jesus Christ. Will you turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. It says, As for you, and that you is speaking about me, And it's speaking about you. It's speaking about every one of us. It says, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Everyone say wrath. Say dun, 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 wrath. Thanks, Ash. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace. Everyone say grace. Yeah. Louder than wrath. I thought so. It's fine. We're going to learn something today. It is by grace that you have been saved. I love Ephesians chapter 2. This is my go-to verse. In actual fact, it's probably my go-to book. If you're allowed to have a favourite book in the Bible, this is probably it for me. But this particular portion of Scripture gives me perspective on my darkest day. When I don't understand what is going on, when I can't see the top for the bottom, this is a verse that gives me incredible perspective because it says of me that Tony Rainbow was dead in his transgressions. I was dead, I was done, I was dusted. It was all over for me. And I can't even blame anyone. It says because of my disobedience. So I'm a dead man walking. But it's because of my fault and my disobedience. And here's the thing. Some of you are saying, yeah, he's finally preaching the Word. Yes, that is true. But it's also true for you. You were dead because of your disobedience. And it says, because of our disobedience that was deserving of death, we deserve the wrath of God. Not only are we dead, but we deserve the full wrath of God. And this creates a little bit of a dilemma for many of us, because how do you marry the love of God and the goodness of God with the wrath of God? And I want to say to you, the wrath of God is one of the greatest indicators to the goodness of God. The wrath of God is one of the greatest indicators of the goodness of God. You see, a good God would not let sin go unpunished. The moment God lets sin go unpunished, He doesn't become a good God, He's a bad God. Let me explain it this way. With what took place more recently in America and that high school shooting, this young man is going to stand before a judge. Can you imagine if the judge is looking at this young man, hearing his story and says, hey, you know what? I see you've had a bit of a rough life. I hear your story and I see a lot of those people in school, they did pick on you. And as a result, you know, you just kind of let the moment get the better of you. And, and, and so while it's not good and it's not right and you've caused a lot of pain, um, because of the pain you first experienced because of them, I'm just going to let this one slide. Would there not be a public outcry? And at that moment, we would know that the judge was not a good judge. He's not an honest judge. He's not a godly judge. 
Because we'd be expecting a penalty to be paid for his actions. And if the judge dishes out a severe penalty, we'll say, that was justice. That's a good judge that would bring about the penalty on that man. Wouldn't we? Because good judges bring the wrath. They bring the penalty to sin. That's what makes them good. If we let sin go, if we let uh, wrong uh, go by, then we cease to be good. The wrath of God is one of the evidence of the goodness of God. The Bible says that we were dead and that we were deserving of the full wrath of God. And so God has this situation where sin cannot go unpunished, but He does love humanity. And that would cause a problem for you and I, but it's not a problem to God because God always has a solution. And God had a solution to send humanity the greatest gift humanity has ever seen or ever received. He sent His Son. And it was an angel that visited a young virgin woman by the name of Mary. And the angel said to Mary that you're going to have a child. And she said, how can that be? I'm a virgin. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you and impregnate you. And you will give a child that is not of the same bloodline or blood lineage as every other human being. Because every one of us by nature are evil. And we needed someone to break that lineage and break that line. And so Jesus came in the form of a babe through an immaculate conception and He was born in humble beginnings in a stable and He grew to the age of some 33 years. And in that time, He was tempted and tested in every way as you are and as I am. But the difference is where we succumb to sin, Jesus never did. Everything that you've ever been tempted with, Jesus was tempted with. But unlike us, He never sinned. He was a perfect, spotless human being. The only one who has ever walked this planet. And at the age of 33, thereabouts, Jesus went to the cross. People say, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did He have to die? Because sin had to be paid for. Because God is a God of wrath and a God of love, and He's a good God. And to ignore people's sin just because He loves us would no longer make Him a good God. And so sin had to be paid for. And so when Jesus hung upon the cross and it went dark for some three hours, the Bible says that Jesus became sin. In other words, in that moment, He experienced the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God came on the Son, so much so the Father turns His face from His Son. And Jesus whispers these words, Father, why have You forsaken Me? Because at that moment, Jesus became sin. And remember, He was the only perfect human being to ever walk the earth. It wasn't for His sin that He became sin. It was for your sin. What He took on the cross was your punishment, your punishment, your punishment. And it was my punishment. It was my punishment that Jesus took. I was dead in my sins. I was dead in my transgressions. I was deserving of death. I was the one deserving of the wrath of God. And Jesus said, I'll take it for you because I love you too much. 
but sin has to be paid for. So I'm going to do an exchange. I'm going to take the punishment for your sin that you might have my eternal life. I mean, this is an incredible gift. While we were dead in our sins, while we were objects of wrath, God in His mercy sends the greatest gift of all. But God, the Bible says, sent His Son. He loved us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. And He sets us free. Don't you love God's but? I love that thought. I love that thought that we were heading one way, but God. God's but changed my life and it changed your life. Such is this incredible gift of God. And the Bible goes on to say that He raised us up with Christ through no effort of our own, but this is a work of grace. You know, if you see an old lady that needs a helping hand across the road, please, by all means, do an act of kindness and help her across the road. But that act of kindness will not get you favour with God. This is a work beyond us. This is something that Jesus Christ Himself afforded to us. It's called salvation. If you see a cat in the tree, I would say leave it there. But if you feel so inclined to climb up that tree and help that cat out the tree and get it down and get it back to its owner, well done. But that act of kindness will not get you the favour with God. It's only Jesus Christ that gives us favour with God. Such is the grace of God. You see, every one of us has been destined to have two births, a physical one and a spiritual one. Every one of us has a birth date. Mine is January 18. Remember that, please. And give me lots of presents. January 18, write it down. January 18. There we go. You have a birth date, but God destined us to have another birth date where we are what the Bible calls born again, where we become alive in our spirit, when we accept Christ into our heart and what was dead now comes alive. We were born into this world, but we were born as objects of wrath. But it's only Jesus that can lift that wrath off of us. And we get born again at that moment. And this is, my friends, the greatest gift a man, woman or child can ever receive. Let us never, ever forget what Jesus, uh, God has given us in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's on this foundation, church, that I want to highlight, maybe even just remind us of some things that God has given us on this incredible foundation of how good God is, the good things He does and the great things He gives. The first and foremost being that of Jesus Christ on this foundation a few things I want to bring to our attention. Things that God has given us. Number one, He's given us a book to read. I'm talking of the Bible. The Bible consists of 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years from 1450 BC to 100 AD. It's split up into two testaments, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. Today it's been translated into over 2,000 languages. Right now, it is the best-selling book of all time, period, bar none. 
And year after year after year after year, it continues to be the best-selling book. Over 100 million copies of the Bible are sold every year. And that's not including all the apps and social media expressions of the Bible. And it's all inspired by one good God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you were to say to me, Tony, I want to hear the voice of God, I would tell you that the primary way to hear the voice of God is the Word of God. Don't stop reading your Bible and expect God to speak to you in other ways. God can speak to us in other ways. But His primary way is through the Word of God. God gave us a book to read and it's a good book. Among other things, it's a biography, giving us insight as to who God is. This series, The Goodness of God, has all been about us finding out who God is. Where did I get my information from? The Word of God. It's a biography letting us know about who God is. Not only is it a biography, but it's also a love letter. And it's a love letter that's giving us insight as to how God feels. It's not just letting us know who God is, but it's letting us know how God feels. I I don't know out there who likes writing love letters to their girlfriend or, or, or to their wife, But uh, every time a love letter is involved, I I know girlfriends and wives just go mad for that. It's just like, wow, he loves me and I love reading his words. Well, there's no better love letter than the Word of God. It lets us know how God feels about us. He says we were dead in our transgressions, that we were on a path going nowhere, but He was rich in love. He was rich in mercy. He loved Dan McGaw so much that He sent His Son to die for him, to wear the full wrath of God so that Dan McGaw would not have to experience that. Why? Because He loves him so much. That's what God does. And that's how He reveals Himself in the Word. It's a biography. It's a love letter. It's also a mirror giving us insight into who we are. You know, the Bible says not to be hypocritical. And what we tend to do with those things is not use it as a mirror, but use it to uh, tell others what they need to do. And we say, Leanne, did you know that uh, you're not to be hypocritical because the Word of God says? And while there is a place for that, it shouldn't start there. It should always start with us. It's a mirror first. It's, it's God letting us know that that action we did, that's hypocrisy and that's what I'm talking about. And so before you have an authority to speak into the lives of others, you've got to deal with your own hypocrisy. It's a biography. It's a love letter. But it's also a mirror showing us who we are. It's a roadmap giving us insight to the direction that we should take. You know, long before I used to lead a church, I used to go to church. And do you know why I went to church? It wasn't because I felt like it. It's because the Word of God told me what to do with my Sundays. It, it just took the choice out of the equation for me. The Word of God is a roadmap. This is what you need to do. You need to get to church regularly. It wasn't a choice for me. The Word of God tells me what I need to do to get plugged into a local church. Blessed are those that are planted in the house of God. I need to get planted. I don't have to pray about that stuff. I don't have to get discernment about that stuff. I just know according to the Word of God, which does not change, I need to be planted in a local church. I need to attend regularly. I need to serve. I need to give. I need to help. I need to be a part of the problem, uh, solution sorry, and not the problem. I don't have to pray about those things. It's a roadmap. 
It's a roadmap in life. And it can save us a lot of prayer time and it can save us a lot of decision-making if we just read the Word of God, get it into our spirit and obey it. Not only that, it's an instruction manual. Give us insight as to how we should live. As to how we should live. You know, the Bible talks about not getting drunk. You know, and I know there's a lot of drunkenness in this world. We, we don't want to... We don't want to stand as religious bigots pointing a religious finger at people who are struggling with addictions. That's not the point. But I never got involved in drunkenness, not because I'm a good person, but because the Bible is good and gives me some good instruction. And so I just followed that. And you know what? No condemnation for those who have been drunk, still get drunk, or maybe even rocked up this morning drunk. No condemnation. But by abiding in the Word, it saved me a lot of money. It saved me a lot of time, a lot of pain. And when the Bible puts things in the Bible, it's because it has that in mind. It's a good book giving good instruction so that we can make good decisions. And if we do make good decisions and live in the blessing of it, please don't be a religious bigot pointing a finger at somebody in their pain. We point them back to the Word of God and say, this this is why I live like this. Are you with me this morning? You see, all these things are good and they're for our good. God gave us a book to read. Secondly, He gave us His Spirit to guide us. The Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 12, sorry, it says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. How many of you, if you're honest, if you were told everything about your life, would actually appreciate that? I, I know for me, if you'd told me at the age of 15 that in less than 10 years from now, I will be leading a church, I would not have been happy with that information. I would have said, you know what? Kill me now. I, I don't want to do that because at 15... I was right into soccer and I don't, I don't know, well, I do know, I didn't have the skill, but the desire was and the dream was to represent Manchester United and, and play for them. Pipe dream granted, but that was what I was thinking about. I was all about soccer. I love soccer. And so to say, hey, in less than 10 years time, you'll be leading a church. I, I would not have received that well. That's what Jesus is talking about. There's many things I want to tell you. You just, you won't like it. You can't handle it. You don't have a mind that can even understand it right now. And so I'm not going to tell you those things. And the disciples go, oh. He goes, but what I will do, he says, I'll give you a friend. He says, and when that friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all truth. He won't draw attention to himself, but he will make sense out of what is about to happen and indeed out of what all that I have done and said. I love this thought that Jesus brings, that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, our friend would take us by the hand and lead us into truth. He was talking about the very one that led him into the desert. 
the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, I don't match you, but just being led into the desert with no creature comforts is not necessarily the place I would choose to go. I mean, just think about it. You, you go into a, a, a cave to escape the heat, but no sooner as you get into the cave, away from the elements, then you walk into someone's home, maybe a lion or a bear. You just don't know what you're going to get in the desert. And yet Jesus allows Himself to be led by the Holy Spirit and not just into the desert, but in the desert to be tempted by the enemy. No one would choose that. But Jesus allowed Himself to be held by the hand and led by the Holy Spirit into that place. How many of us, if we're honest, are hand in hand with the Holy Spirit? And how many of us who are honest actually let Him lead or do we lead Him? Are we leading or is He leading? Because I would not choose to go to the desert, but Jesus was led. And, and I, I, just, I just wonder for a moment if our Christianity has become so stale and so mundane and so average because we don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We just keep Him with us to do what we want to do. And then our love for the things of God grows cold. You see, I've been married for 26 years. We just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. We dated for eight years before that. On the 17th of March, 1984, I was skating backwards, doing my thing. And I looked Kath in the eye in a couple skate when Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart was playing. And I said, will you be my girlfriend? I said, boyfriend somewhere else. I said, would you be my girlfriend? And she said, yes. I went, Yes. And we started a life together. And I thank God for that moment. It started a relationship. But I don't want to go back there. And then almost eight years later, we got married. And I'm grateful for my wedding day. I really am. But this notion that your wedding day is the greatest day of your life, I think, my gosh, you poor person. I think, what happened since your wedding? If that was the greatest day of your life and you've been married for 26 years, what a miserable 26 years. I thank God for my wedding. I've got horrible photos to prove that I got married. (laughs) But all I like about my wedding day is it was the beginning of a journey of a life together. And every day we've been arm in arm, hand in hand, learning and growing and leading one another into new adventures, new dreams, new thoughts. And so 26 years later for me, marriage is so much better. It's so much better. We live in a world where most marriages end in divorce today, which is really sad. But can I say it's because we stop holding hands and we stop walking together and we just become strangers in the same home until we can't bear it anymore. And I feel the same about our relationship with God. I thank God the day I got born again. I thank God the day I first got plugged into a local church. But man, I've read my Bible every day since and I've come into encounter after encounter. I've come into wisdom after wisdom, revelation after revelation. And I don't want to go back there. I've had a much better life. And I want to give a hope to all of our young people that you don't have to get old, crusty and boring. 
Our relationship, can I speak to some of our older ones? We need to be giving off a position and an attitude to our young ones that, man, getting older is not bad. Getting older is good. And I'm more passionate about the things of God today than I've ever been before. If we don't showcase that, we don't give them a hope. Christianity is not just a young man's game. It's for all manner and all kind, men, women and children. It was Christ who hung upon the cross for you and experienced the full wrath of God that we might live in freedom. Let's never forget that. Let's never grow tired of that. Let's allow ourselves to be led by this comforter and take us by the hand and lead us. And I've got to be honest with you, sometimes He leads us into places I would rather not go. But when I get through it, I've got a story to tell. I've got an experience to talk about. I've got closer to Jesus. I've got something to say. What I love about the story of David and Goliath is how it was incredibly, the odds were incredibly stacked against David. But God, God was bigger than Goliath and He had a story to tell. The Holy Spirit led him into this battle and he ran to the giant with a glint in his eye and a smile in his face and a spring in his step and a sling in his hand and said, I'll take him down. When's the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit to lead you? It could be at work and you've got to talk to that person about Jesus. And uh, I think I'm an idiot. Oh, no, just, no, no. Go on. Go on. If you don't, you won't have a story to tell. And you go year after year. Who's, when's the last time you spoke about your faith? And never. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Christianity is not exciting for you anymore. I always say this to any young aspiring church leader. I said, man, you know, ministry will, will stretch you in every way. I've been every emotion imaginable. I've been mad, sad, I've been tired, I've been angry, I've been excited, I've been pumped, I've been all those things. But one thing I've never been is bored. When you follow Jesus, you'll never be bored because the Holy Spirit takes you by the hand. And the moment you're getting bored, it just takes you into new things. Let's go down a semaphore. Okay, it's more work. It's more this, it's more money. Yeah, let's do it. And I start thinking, I'm sensing in the Holy Spirit, He's saying, okay, you're getting ready? Cool, we're gonna go somewhere else. We're gonna start another campus somewhere else. You're ready for that one? And we go, okay, it's more money, more time, more energy, more effort. Let Him take you by the hand because it's a gift from God and He'll lead you into truth. Thirdly, He gave us a place to belong. He gave us a book to read. He gave us His Spirit to guide us. And He gave us a place to belong. I'm talking about the church. See, the local church is a community of people. I've been saying this quite a bit more recently, that with the advancement of technology, of which I'm all for, but you can have podcasts now and you can have live streaming of churches. And so you can get the Word of God into you and you don't even have to go to church anymore. And if that's all church was, then that would be fine. The trouble is when God had church in mind, He had more than just the Word being shared in mind. He saw a people gathering together, forming a community, a place where you can love and be loved, a place where you can be known and get known. That doesn't happen on live streaming. 
That, that doesn't happen when you listen to a podcast. You know, you can sit there live streaming and be eating food in your pyjamas. You don't have, you don't have to make any effort. But when you choose to belong to a community of people and you choose to fellowship together, you've got to at least get dressed. You've got to put a bit of effort in. I know why we opt for these other things because it's easier. But God gave us a place to belong. And I know the church is not perfect. And the reason I know it's not perfect is because you're here and I'm here. It's certainly not perfect, but I do believe with all my heart, the church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. Amen. And so we need to understand that one of the great things that God gives to us is His church. is a place to belong. And remember, church is not my idea. Don't listen to me as a pastor. You're only saying that because, no, no, it's not my idea. The local church is God's idea. It's the only thing Jesus Christ is building in the earth today is His church. And it's the only thing He'll come back for is His church. This is not my idea. This is God's idea. And fourthly, the other good thing He gave us as a band come up, He gave us some people to lead. He gave us some people to lead us. You know, God's method has always been to appoint a leader to appoint a team to lead His people. And we see that not only in the church, but in our nation. Right now we have a leader of our nation. And my question would be simply this. When's the last time you prayed for the leader of our nation? Because whatever you think of Him or whatever, whatever political persuasion you are of, the Bible tells us that we need to be praying for our leaders. And do you know what I think would be a great exercise for the church? If our prayer matched our complaint when it comes to our leaders, our nation would be better for it. And when our prayer matches our complaint, then I would say, let's drop off the complaint. But if we're honest, how many of us complain more about our leaders than we do pray for them? And that attitude, this anti-leadership attitude creeps into the church. I thank God that Kath and I have been mandated by God to lead this church. It's not a vocation, it's a calling. Paul says, I am Paul, an apostle, called by the will of God. You don't, you don't choose to be a pastor. It's a calling. And to be honest, it's something I ran from. It's something I didn't want. I did not want leadership. But you know what? It's been the wildest ride of my life and I'm so grateful to God for it. It's amazing. And I get the privilege to choose some men and women to come alongside a leadership team. And I'm so grateful for them because without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do and we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And then under them, we have various other leaders, some leading connect groups, other leading other areas of ministry, all of which would not happen if there wasn't leadership in place. And I know it's easy to get your eye on one particular leader and have something to say about them. But know this, when you're talking about that person, you're talking about God's good idea. 
None of us profess to be perfect. But I would say, for whatever you've been saying or doing or complaining, has it been matched by prayer, love and appreciation? I look at these first few rows here, of which often leaders of ministry groups sit and I'm just so grateful. Think of Dan and Ashari, what they're doing for the young people of our church, having to take over from Chris Guglamucci, which was no easy task, no easy task. Take over of a man who's 20 years older than you, with the last name Guglamucci, with years of experience, enter Dan and Ashari. Wet behind the ears, green as you like, but the hand was up. And they've had to weather some storms, some nasty things that have been said over them because they're not this and they're not that and they should be this. I'm saying they're 20 years of age, for goodness sake. But their hand's up. And they're learning and they're growing and they're growing and they're learning and they're learning and they're growing. And to, this, to you, I'd say, watch this space. Watch this space. Watch this space. It's easy to be a critic. It takes a man or woman of God to stand up and pray. I could go through. Think of Andre. Honestly, Andre saved my life. When I think about what happened in 2016, I don't know that I'd still be in ministry today if it wasn't for that man and what he did for me personally and what he did for our church as a general manager, stepping in the gap, taking on so much weight. It's just amazing. 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 Are they perfect? No. Have we had our run-ins? Yes. Have we had some things to say to each other? Yes. Are they always pleasant? No. But we live under something bigger than that. It's God's idea. He gave us a book to read. Are you reading it? He gave us His Spirit to guide us. One who'll take us by the hand and lead us. Are you letting Him lead? You can speak in tongues and still not let Him lead. You can grab the Holy Spirit by the hands, sit in front of the television, speak in tongues and do nothing. Is He leading you? Into adventures unknown. Oh, you've got, to come to, you've got to come to Vision Sunday next week, even if it's just for one little moment that we've created. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be so powerful. He gave us a place to belong. Do you appreciate still and love your local church? A community of people. And it is a family because the one thing about family is you don't get to choose your family. Just... You know, you're like, wow, brother, sister, mother, wouldn't have chose that, but hey, it is what it is. That's church. Just look around the room, please. Just look around the room, like, really? Wow. I think of Andre, you know, without Jesus. I don't know if we would have been friends. I, I don't. I, I, <laughs> I love him. I do. But he's a nerd. He is. <laughs> And, and I love it. I love it. I love it. And he chose some people to lead us. It's an incredible privilege. God is good. God does good. God gives good. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 